0: All right, uh, liftoff, and the clock has started.
1: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
0: Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And And off, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 413, My Conversation with Andy Saunders, Restoring Apollo. I'm John Molnix. Hey everyone, this week is going to have multiple episodes. The first one that's going to be available is My Conversation with Andy Saunders, which you're about to hear. I still am trying to get some time in my schedule to get the top 10 space movies recorded and the year in review. I'm hoping to get those done here this afternoon, but my work schedule has just been crazy busy. Without any further delay, here's my chat with Andy. Today I've got Andy Saunders on uh, via, uh, was Skype, but we ended up going uh, fall back to uh, Zencaster after some weird technical glitches. Um, Andy is the uh, creator of the just incredible image uh that you can see Neil's face on the surface of the moon during Apollo 11, which if you know space history, you know there's not a lot of pictures of Neil on the moon. And this is the one where you can actually see Neil's face. So uh, Andy was the uh, genius behind cleaning up just so many of these uh, images that were taken during the Apollo program. So it's awesome to have you on the show. Just thanks, thanks for having me. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, first off, How did you get into doing all of this image restoration?
1: Um, I think, I mean, my interest in in Apollo was right, really, from as long as I can remember, uh, probably a four- or five-year-old child. No doubt I was obsessed with rockets, as a lot of little boys are. Um, And then I got a telescope when I was younger on Christmas, just a small one. And I just remember looking at the moon through it um, and feeling like I'd I'd almost been transported there because I was almost flying over the moon. Um, and I thought that must be amazing to you know imagine if you could do that. And, of course, mm-hmm. uh, actually, people have done that, which blew my young mind, um, <laughs> at which point I just needed to know everything about it. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the rockets. Who did it? How did they do it? What did the spacecraft look like? So, I mean, that's where it, my kind of obsession with it all started. Um, but I think as I've, I've grown older, it's just more... An increased appreciation for just how incredible this achievement was. Um, you know, the further away it, it goes into the past, you know, half a century ago, the more amazing it it seems. You know, before the, com- the computer age, and just the rawness of it all is is, is fascinating. Um, but the the struggle I had was was, was just getting information, getting getting pictures, in particular, was frustrating. Um, it was before the internet, before video recorders, even. Um, so I was just had photocopies from from books, obviously very low quality. And as time's gone on, of course, technology's improved and what we can see has improved. But there was still all that, still that frustration that, well, where is the event itself? You know, Neil specifically mm-hmm. undertaking the most amazing event in history. Where, where's this image of him? Um, so that had always been a frustration. Of course, we then we had kind of the internet world and DVDs and technology improved and the proliferation of, of images was there, but still none of Neil. And, but I remember, particularly when DVDs came out, I had an Apollo 11 um, DVD and the 16mm film was on there. So, that, of course, the video footage. And I just remember seeing, as a lot of people probably did watching that footage, just a glimpse of a head within, you know, under the helmet. and thought, "Oh, that? you know, was that a person? Um, and just instantly you connected more to it, you know, rather than this faceless spacesuit, you know, there is a person in there. Mm-hmm. So, but the quality back then still was very basic. It was standard definition. And then it was Stephen Slater, who's the archive producer on Apollo 11, the movie, which I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen in the summer. Oh, yes. Um, a brilliant movie. He he. Oh my gosh, yeah. He translated and transferred the original 16mm footage into a HD format. And when that came out, and I saw that on the web, I thought, oh, you know, maybe we can get, you know, zoom in and 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 capture something and, and produce an image that I felt has been missing for 50 years, really. And that's how it started. So I um I f- I went through frame by frame, um, but but one single image just didn't quite have It wasn't quite enough to produce a decent still image, but I was aware of this the software that astronomers use to stack multiple frames on top of each other. Okay. And that's something which a lot of your listeners probably are aware of, but I just thought, well, why not put Neil Armstrong through this software? (laughs) You know, the theory is the same. Um, The more images you have, you can basically improve the signal-to-noise ratio. And then you can push the processing hard. You can get more detail out of the image. Um, and Neil was still long enough, just for a couple of seconds, to be able to lift multiple frames. And then I could run that through the software. And when it came out at the other end, I just couldn't believe the detail that I was able to reveal, which I'm sure you've seen the image.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things that, and this is something I've talked about before, too, about how... You know the apollo program is special just because it happened right at the time where we we had a pr- proliferation of you know video recorders yes they weren't you know easy like an iphone or an android phone where you just pull out the phone and start recording but these missions took place right at the time where you know medium format cameras just were able to capture incredible detail with those Hasselblads. Um, you had 16 millimeter film that, you know, at the time the scans were lower resolution, but that film was high enough resolution that, you know, even today, like, you know, like you said, for Apollo 11, the movie, they're able to go back through and rescan, yeah, some of the source material. And I think it's just really special that the Apollo program happened right at that time where we had the tools to actually record it. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, the newer technology, like you were saying with the software, being able to go through and just stack those images and layer those images and be able to pull out more detail. It's, it's such a cool picture that you've got. And for everybody that's listening to, I'll be linking to Andy's uh, Twitter in the show notes. That way you can go see all of the stuff that you share because you're, you're sharing some just. Really fun and unique pictures all the time. So you know, I I implore everybody to check check out your Twitter feed. Um, you. Yeah, the, the, as you say, it's interesting that that film
1: from fifty years ago, of course, hasn't changed in fifty years. It hasn't got better. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, it hasn't got worse. Of course, it's locked away at Building Eight at Johnson Space Center in a freezer. And every now and then, it comes out of the freezer and it's and it's re-scanned. And that. as you say, it's it's the technology of been able to lift the detail from that frame and represent it that has improved over the 50 years so as you say you know steam slates have been able to do it in in hd there's now scans of the of the Hasselblad still images which have been rescanned at uh, an unprecedented resolution of course computers are more capable of handling bigger files so we've now got 1.3 gigabyte um, raw files of the scans original scans and that's a lot of what i'm trying to do now as well we- a lot of what we see from Apollo um, images, the kind of duplicates of duplicates, and someone will make a JPEG and someone will copy it and crop it. And <laughs> there's a general degradation in the quality of everything yeah. see. So let's go back to the original film, the most recent high-resolution scan. We utilize all the software that we can, and model modern uh, digital enhancement, And represent these in in as clear a way as we possibly can. So that's since the Armstrong image, that's what I've been uh, been trying to do. On a bit of a bit of a mission. Well,
0: and uh, I appreciate that you that you're doing that. Just because it's there's so many images online that the quality is just like like you said, it's not there. It's somebody uploaded a JPEG for forever ago. Yeah. Um, And this is something I I see a lot when researching uh some shuttle missions it's like all they have for pictures are screen grabs from what looks like a vhs tape yeah so it's just really low quality um source material which is just really sad so hopefully there's some higher quality of that somewhere but you know some of the images where uh you know one of my favorite ones is or one of my favorite types is where you've got like an overexposed image and you go through and you clean that up yeah um I mean, like the astronauts themselves; they they weren't professional photographers before they went to the moon, but they had to learn to be, yeah, (laughs) pretty good photographers for that. Um, What are your favorite types of images to uh, restore? Like, what you know is it overexposed, underexposed? You know what? What do you prefer to work with?
1: Well, overexposed are a lot more difficult to work with, but more gratifying in that you know the image really. Looking at the original scan, it looks dead. It's never used. Mm-hmm. You just pass it by. You know, there's twenty thousand images from Apollo, and it'd just be one of those, and you'd just it'd just be dismissed. So I do I do like to take an image that looks dead and restore it and try and get even anything out of it. To me, is is a value because it's an incredible moment in time, and to be able to represent that, even in an average state. And as a contribution towards, you know, it can join all the other the archive of amazing Apollo images. So I do get a lot of satisfaction from from doing that, of the restoration of a poor image rather than just making a good image even better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overexposed is very difficult. But most, thankfully, are actually underexposed, and that's either when the photograph was taken or the scans of them. Um so the raw files are, are very underexposed. It unfortunately makes processing them very difficult um these we've got these huge one gigabyte 1.3 gigabyte raw files as i said now but to push it the processing hard enough to be able to bring the detail out you get all kinds of artifacts you get you yeah. know you get it, all kinds of things that are very difficult to then kind of dampen down now i've got a technique of doing it but it's very time consuming um but ultimately, it's the reward is there. You know, if you're prepared to go through the effort of doing it, you end up with a, a version of a of a famous image that's probably the clearest it's it's been produced to date. So that that's the motivation in in going through that effort, really.
0: Well, and that's what's so cool about these pictures is it's like you're you're bringing out detail that only the astronaut that took the picture would have seen. Yeah. That the public has never seen that level of detail before. That's right. Yeah. Um, You know, just one of the ones I was scrolling through your uh, Twitter timeline here real quick. And I had forgotten about this one, uh, the picture of Edgar Mitchell um, as he was looking at his map. Yes. Um, The original image was just super overexposed. And with how you clean that one up, it's just, I I just got chills looking at it here again. (laughs) Just a breathtaking.
1: Yeah, it's a nicely framed image, that one.
0: Yes, it really is.
1: Um, there's one just before it's very famous of them searching for cone craze with the map that we see mm-hmm. everywhere um, so to find one I think it was the very next image actually the very next shot That's a similar image but you know it tells the story in a slightly different way so another similar one a, a very poignant one last week was the one of Ed White I don't know if you saw that um, that had released for it was the anniversary of what should have been the launch of Apollo 1 in 1967 okay. Um So I went back and looked at Gemini 4, which was Ed White's mission, of course. Yes. Yes, I saw that one. And there was was just this image with just a hint of his face and a star map. And once that was processed, you know, he's he's clearly visible just gazing out the window of the Gemini capsule. And you just think, what's going through his mind, you know, looking through that window? Is he (laughs) in complete wonderment of where he is? is? Is he looking at the stars? Is he contemplating the enormity of his. Spacewalks, of course, that was the first US spacewalk that he performed. And then coming back in, he famously said, you know, it was the saddest moment of his life coming, coming back <laughs> in from his DBA. I can imagine. As we know, two years later, there was a much sadder event. Yeah. So that was, that was quite a poignant image. Um, so, yeah, picking favourites from 20,000 is very difficult. You know, so I like some for different reasons. So some are very poignant, some... Are scientifically interesting, you know, to see mm-hmm. the spacecraft, see the spacesuit, see the experiments, to see what they're doing. Some just translate the the awe of what's being achieved very well in an image. Some are just visually stunning, you know. Some mm-hmm. images of the Earth, of the Moon itself, are just very visually appealing. So there's all kinds of different, you know. Out of twenty thousand, there's, there's a lot to go at. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's how long have you been doing this now at this point then?
1: Only, only really since the Armstrong image, so from July. Um, I haven't got through all 20,000, if that's the next question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, how I, many have you, have you been through?
1: <laughs> I've, I've probably been through 30%, 40% of them, I would say. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it, it is very time-consuming, and some you've got to take a chance of the raw fire will just look like a black frame there's almost mm-hmm. nothing and you know to, to go to the length of downloading a 1.3 gigabyte file and open it and try and lift the values to see if there's anything at all of interest in it's uh, quite a process but like i say every now and then you're just rewarded with you know something of, of interest that we can try and try and reveal
0: on the other image too that just is really that i appreciate is the uh, colorized um, of Alan Bean at Surveyor three,
1: yes um,
0: yeah. can you talk a little bit about the colorization process then too because there's a ton of pictures that are in black and white, um, and that's just how they were shot. Yeah uh, can you talk a little bit about that process of getting that color and bringing out you know just making it look like it would have been if you you know if you were looking out of your spacesuit?
1: Yeah, I mean Apollo 12 was one mission. In addition to Apollo 15, where there was a very high proportion of the photographs were in black and white. I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, and there's not necessarily any, <laughs> a huge number of great ones in colour. So that, that was also frustration. So for the 50th anniversary of Apollo 12, I went through some of these absolutely classic shots that are in black and white. So there's the Surveyor 3 one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. There's portraits that um, Alan and Pete took of each other and um, there's one that's incredibly sharp um, of Alan Bean holding a sample container. It's a very famous image. But I think in color, you, you can just, again, connect with it more. It seems to bring it forward 50 years. Um, and so that process, again, it's, it's a very time-consuming process. But colorization of photographs, black and white photographs, a lot of people have a strong opinion of, well, he shouldn't do it because... Typically, it's a very historical image, and there's no reference for the colour. So the artist is then guessing the colours. It might be an educated guess, or it might be a wild guess. And so a lot of people don't like that. But the beauty of the Apollo images is, of course, we do have colour versions, because they did take colour film. Mm -hmm. So what I'm able to do with those is actually directly sample the colours from the colour frames, and then you effectively paint that onto the black and white frame in photoshop digitally um so, so I mean, yeah
0: you're not making up the colors you're so using actual colors, references uh, yeah. accurate colors
1: um painted onto the black and white image and the black and white image of course remains so the detail in it is unchanged um but yeah it's a very time consuming process so for example in, in skin tone there's about 15 different colors all layered on top of each other to try and get an accurate skin tone wow uh, obviously that does not happen with the images on the lunar surface, but some of the kind of permission control and the and suit up images that I've done, you've got to do the skin tone then and that's very difficult to, to get accurately. Um but again, it's it's quite relaxing doing, to be honest. It's like painting, I guess. Or painting digitally.
0: Yeah, well, and that's that's what's just so special about that I like about colorized images is yeah, you know, it's not the original file, but it is it's one of those things that does just br- – it brings it to life, like the picture of uh, Chris Craft and Gordon Cooper uh, during Jiminy 6 and 7 that you have.
1: Yeah, the wrong celebration. Yeah.
0: That is just – I love that. Like the black and white picture is cool. Yeah. But being able to see the color, you have the flags, you have the cigar, you have the cigar yeah. wrapper, you have his tie. I mean, like there's just – and that's just it's so much more special to me in color. So, you know, it, I, I do appreciate when you're able to do that. So you know, we're in about the middle kind of of all of the 50th anniversary um, celebrations. Uh, the next big one that we have coming up is for Apollo 13. Um, can you talk to you know talk to us about what you've been doing in preparation for that mission?
1: Yeah, well, that is one mission that I've been through every single image. Um, (laughs) Awesome. There were a lot less um, because, of course, they never made the landing, but, of course, they still went around the moon, so they still took some Mm -hmm. pretty stunning photographs of the moon itself, of the Earth. Um, There's a lot of quite poignant ones in there, of course, because of what happened with the Mm -hmm. explosion and uh, Jim not being able to walk on the moon for a second time and just watching it pass by. So there's a lot of poignant images, some pretty stunning images in there. Um, I mean, one particularly interesting one is of the instrument console in the lunar module, which, of course, was the the astronaut's lifeboat. Uh, And if you remember, they had to power down as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the systems to conserve resources and energy and electricity. Uh, And this image shows a pretty dark place with just a few of the instrument lights illuminated. But the detail in it's terrific, you know, that you can read... A lot of the dials you can read the rates on the dials but there's also oh, awesome. some sticky notes that Jim and, and Fred Hayes stuck to some of the instruments to remind them that you know we're not flying the lunar module in the way we've trained for years we've got to fly it now in a very different way because mm-hmm. that was used to get them the course correction and the free return your trajectory back to, back to earth so you can see those sticky notes you can see the handwriting on the notes and also right there in, in the middle of the of the console is the contact light. You know, you can read contact out or the tap. There's the blue light that, of course, is the light that would illuminate if they were to land, make contact and land on the moon. And, of course, ultimately, that light never illuminated. Um, so that's quite a, a poignant and interesting detailed image.
0: I'm excited to see that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really nice, clear image. Um, another one... I've been looking a lot at, at the damage to the service module. So I have, obviously a lot of your listeners will have seen the movie Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the moment where they, they jettison the service module and it's the first time they, they get a look at the damage. Yeah. And actually going back over that film, it's incredibly accurate. The rendering they've done of that damage is because I've been looking at this pixel by pixel and, and what's on there is extremely accurate, but it's quite difficult to... To understand well what are we looking at what should have been in that bay four of course the the hatch was was the cover was blown off and you can just see a, a big jumbled mess. you can see some fuel cells but you know where was the explosion oxygen tank two was the was the tank that exploded where where should that have been in that in that bay four what else can we see um so i've managed to drag out a, a lot of detail on that damage um so i'll be putting that online of course some other visualizations, I've been able to go back and find the original photographs that were taken at North American Rockwell of the inside of Bay 4 just before it left the factory. So of course that tells us what it, what it should have looked like when it left or what it did look like when it, when it launched. And then superimpose those on top of the damaged image and manage to oh, realign is. and skew the image because, because of perspective. Differences. Sure. And then what we can then do is kind of gradually change the opacity of that top layer so you can see kind of a before and after and start to understand, okay, that's what it looks like and that's what I can see now and that's what's disappeared.
0: That's, that sounds really cool because it's one of those things that that picture that's that's out there that shows the damage to the service module yeah. isn't the clearest. So I, I'm really excited to see that just because it, it really, I think, will drive home how much damage there was
1: yeah well these new these new scans of uh Hasselblad um frames it's actually a different frame to that one it's, it's one of the color frames um but it's at such resolution and again enhancing it uh, enhancing it as much as possible there is some incredible detail compared to what we usually see and, you know you can see individual mechanical fixings in the paneling for example
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you can see some of the cables in, it, within the damaged bay oh wow uh, so it is really really detailed image so yeah i'm looking forward to putting putting that one out in the next
0: few weeks no doubt and then after after apollo 13 what do you have planned for the rest of the missions uh, i'll i'll just go through each
1: each mission by mission um i'll go i'll, I'll get through <laughs> i'll get through all twenty thousand. <laughs> um, and is the goal and if there's anything of interest i'll, I'll hopefully i will find it and I'll enhance it, and I'll and I'll put
0: it out there for people to see. Well, I'm excited about it. I know that there's a couple people at the Cosmosphere that are really excited about all of this as well. Um, it, it's one of those things. This is one of the I, what I love about the space community is, I mean, you're in the UK, um, I'm here in Colorado. I know people all over the United States, um, people in in Europe, um, in australia that i've heard from it's just it's such a cool community and we're spread out all over but there's missions like this that bring us together and i just i you know the power of these missions to do that is just something that i i hope everybody appreciates how special that is yeah absolutely well, Andy, thank you very much uh for coming on the podcast. I'm going to have you on again in the future and um at some point I'll definitely have to have you on the uh Cosmosphere podcast as well. Uh that way we can talk about uh Apollo 13 sometime after the uh anniversary or actually maybe around it. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Not we'll not see sure. how my schedule goes. <laughs> yeah. Um I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk with all of the listeners and um, for following you on Twitter. um, I'll put your Twitter uh, bio or link in the uh, show notes. You're at at Andy Saunders underscore one. That's right. Um, Everybody, I mean, if you use Twitter, even if you don't use Twitter, go sign up for a Twitter account and (laughs) follow Andy so you can see these images. Um, Do you have any uh, anywhere else where where people can follow you? I don't just
1: yet. Okay. Put a little a few on Instagram, but no, Twitter is the main outlet at, at
0: the moment. Sounds good. Well, Andy, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. I do have a call-in number. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, just dial 720-772-7988 and leave a message. I'm looking forward to sharing the questions that you may have with all of the listeners. As always, the links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a review. Reviews in Apple Podcasts help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure it reaches as many people as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.